pray. God, we once again, we're grateful for this gathering. We're grateful that we can come as like-minded people. Worship the Lord who sits on the throne. God, you have given us a spirit that guarantees eternal life for us. You have given us your word that is alive and it's active. And it leads to transformation. So Father, I, I pray that as we talk about Isaiah, God, it's not me they hear, but it, it's the ability to relate to what Isaiah is going through. A man on the way to a temple. He encounters you. So let this story today, Father, that we share, let it, let it lead to transformation. Let it lead to encouragement if that's what we need today. Let it lead to healing. Let it, let it light a fire in us if we have become apathetic. Let it correct and let it teach. Pray right now for the power of your word to reach us. Amen. All right, so as we said last week, and, and I know that some of you were, were gone to TCTC, we are grateful that, that you guys made it there safely and you made it back. We're grateful for the, all the prayers that were answered um, with that. As we said last week, one of the things that I, like, that I have been praying for our LifeBridge family it is that we will become a five-talent church. <clears throat> that, that God will look down upon us, and, and in my mind, it will be a look of pleasure. It will be a look of, of, of just, just joy. And he will say to us, he will say to this body of believers, well done, good and faithful servants. Uh, like, I can't tell you the amount of sleep if I'm losing sleep at night, it, it's because of something going on within the church, within our faith family. You're the ones that keep me awake at night, if I'm staying awake at night. And so my prayer is that we will become this five-talent church. And if you remember, I admitted to you last week, I'm not even 100% sure what a five-talent church looks like. Like, like I, I can't even articulate that fully. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. But I do know this, it begins with, with you and I coming to the place in our faith journey where we are willing to put our yes on the table. We are willing to come before the Lord and say, yes, you tell me now, God, how and where. I believe with all of my heart that there are untapped talents that the master has given to you that we are not yet using. We're not using them, church, because we have this tendency to hold on to our yes. I'll give you my yes if it fits into my scheme. I'll give you my yes as long as I don't have to get too uncomfortable. 
And, and so this Send Me series that we're kicking off today, it, it's a three-week series about some people from Scripture that just said yes to the Lord. Uh, the story in a couple weeks is going to be Luke 6, Mark 6, people of peace, where Jesus commissioned the disciples and they went out, sent them out two by two, and they went into towns. And, and they came to people of peace, people who said, I like the message that you have for me. Come on into the house. Let's talk about this Messiah that you're talking about. Next week, we're going to talk about a little boy who said, in the crowd of 5,000 men, and no telling how many women, a little boy that said, hey, i got some fish and some loaves. Here you go. You can have these. And today, we're going to talk about a story about this messenger. This guy that was just on the way to the temple. He was a somewhat of a political figure. He, he, he gave advice to kings. And he's on his way to the temple when he says yes to the Lord. And so as we get into this text in Isaiah, I want you to think about your faith journey this morning. What is your response when you encounter God, we, we talk about this often, I've said this a lot this past year, that, that, that we experience God on these mountaintops, like, like we see His glory. We, we, we get all jazzed up, like, like we send kids to these conferences, and man, they go up there, and man, they, 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 they ride in bands, and they don't get along in there, and, and, and their beds are uncomfortable, and toilets don't flush, and, and it's just, you know, Incredibly, there's 9,000 people up there, and everything's crowded. We send these kids to these conferences, and they get in there with, with four or 5,000 people, and, and they start lifting their voice, and they're challenged, and, and they, they see and they encounter this feeling. We, we, we do this all the time. The Billy Graham Crusades used to be this, this high impact. Let's get men and go over here. We're going to do a revival, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna let you experience God in this this mighty way. We, we've been there before. We, we've had those moments where we encounter God. And if you're a Christ follower, at some point in your journey, you were moved. I told you my, my story a couple weeks back. Man, I'm just sitting there at North George Christian Camp. They're singing, celebrate Jesus. I can't even... I'm like, I'm too big to do all the hand motions. I'd get a cramp if I did the hand motions now that they, they did to that song. And, 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 and man, and just something got me up and said, walk over here and start talking to these people because God was doing something in my life. But like as a, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, you, you've had the moment where you were challenged, where you were convicted, where you were like, all right, Lord, yeah. You're, you're speaking to me right now. So Isaiah encounters God. He's on the way to the temple. And, and, and what I want you to see is that there's three things taking place in this story. When we come into the presence of the Lord, when we encounter God, there's, there's three things. So if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. Start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. All right, so let me give you a little background what's going on here. There's a transfer of power between some earthly kings. Uh, this is the, the dead king, King Uzziah. Okay, uh, that, that, that's, that's who just passed away, as it clearly stated. And this new king, Jotham, that's coming in. His name's not mentioned, but that's what's taking place. Isaiah is somewhat of a political advisor, if you will. He, he, he worked with Uzziah, and now he's going to work with Jotham, and he works with some other kings. And, and so that, that's his role. He, he's very familiar with the throne. He's very familiar with what's taking place. We are 11 kings removed from David, King David. Okay, So it's, it's, it's been some time. This is important for us to take note of because the earthly throne that Isaiah has witnessed human kings occupy, it's had some turnover. Right? Like... Well, one king just went on his way, and now we got a, the sun coming in. And the vision that Isaiah begins with, he sees the Lord, where is he sitting? Upon a throne, high and lifted up. Church, this throne does not transfer power to someone else, ever. This throne will never be occupied by anyone but Jesus, ever. Isaiah, in this opening of this vision, as he's in the middle of an earthly transition between kings, the vision starts with him looking upon the throne and seeing the king of kings. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Then Isaiah sees what the Bible calls the seraphim, right? These angel-type figures. Here on America and our culture, we, we take the word angel and we use it different ways, right? Or refer to this patsy as an angel. Certainly was not describing the seraphim. Six wings. Two, covering their face. Two, covering their wings or their feet. Two, to fly around with. My sister, I think I've shared this with you, man, she used to collect the precious moments figurines, right? And, and, and they've, they've ruined the image of what an angel is based on the Bible. Because every time an angel shows up in Scripture, it's usually, fear not, you're good, don't worry about it, we got you covered. Uh, in, in the precious moments world, man, there's, 
there, there's like these little sweet little winged innocent beings that, that hover around and man, we, we think it's like our guardian angel that's there just flapping their wings and they're protecting us and they're, we, we, we have a lot of positive and, and just nice thoughts when it comes to angels based on our understanding. Seraphim, and this is the only place in scripture that these things are mentioned. Seraphim means fiery one. Or the Hebrew actually says flying, fiery serpent. This man is worst nightmare. Right? I mean, like just straight up. Like that's like that's what Isaiah, as he sees the throne. <laughs> And he sees the king of kings sitting upon it. There's these six-winged creatures who are flaming. Right? I mean, like, like hot, they are fiery. Several years ago, our family got to go uh, out to Colorado <laughs> Springs to attend uh, Tanner Bennett's Air Force Academy graduation. What an honor. It was great. And at the conclusion of the, cer at the ceremony, the, the Air Force's Thunderbirds Man, they, they, F-16s, man, they did this incredible demonstration. It, it, it was phenomenal. So you've got these F-16 Falcons. Y'all probably, some of you might have seen the Blue Angels, very similar to that. To, you know, those are Navy guys, and they, they're meant to be in the water. And so these Air Force guys, they really know what they're talking about and really know what they're doing, man. And they, they were there, and they, I'm sorry if anybody's in the Navy. Uh, they were there, and they were, man, they were rattling the stands. Man, I mean, they buzzed the audience, and, and, and these aircraft, man, they were shooting flames, and the afterburners, or whatever they're called, and, and they twist, and they do all of this stuff in the air, and you're just like, oh, man, that's incredible. This is how moved I was. I noticed this just this past week. On my phone, my lock screen is actually a picture I took of these F-16s in the air. Not my kids. Okay, not like I've got F 16 Falcons as my lock screen. It's like, oh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> we know, we know, but it was, I mean, it was incredible. And I'm telling you, and this is maybe uh, Bob, we've been, we've been to the drag races before. If you've ever seen these alcohol or these nitro cars go down the track and you're sitting there and they just shake you, and there's fire shooting everywhere, that's the seraphim. They're, they're a lot more like that. Okay, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> There's a lot of intensity with these with these creatures, and that's what Isaiah sees. And don't miss what these guys are doing, or guys. I don't know what they are. They're perfect. I know that they're sinless. They're sinless, and they can't even look upon Jesus because they got to cover their face. And don't don't miss what they are doing. It's because they are in the presence of the Lord. So you got the cherubim, those are the other angels mentioned. They kind of sit to the, the side of the throne. And the seraphim, they kind of hover above the throne. And they, they take care of anything that the Lord desires. Like, like that, that's, that's their role. And when they're not taking care of what the Lord desires, this is what they're doing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I can't help but think back to camp growing up, and we used to do those little repeat songs, those little circle songs that once you got it started, it never ended. 
you know, like this group's going to start right here, and then this group's going to start on the third holy, and then so, you know, you're over here going holy, 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 and when the third group gets, when they get to the third holy, y'all are starting holy, holy, and it just goes in this circle. That's what's, that's what's going on. Now, anywhere in the Old Testament that you see repetition of a word, it's important. Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew, it is the equivalent of you adding the word very. The seraphim are essentially saying the Lord of hosts is very, very holy. And the seraphim have this worship set. They got it on loop. Over and over and over. Music lovers, do y'all know the most listened to song in the history of the planet? You know what it is? You know what it is? You, of all people, should know what it is. You've heard it a million times. It's a small world, after all. <laughs> Has been played over 50 million times. It's played everywhere. And if you get this little annoying earworm, you know, all up in your ear, I mean, like you're saying, it's a small world. And I'm scared to see you say it, because now that's all y'all want to do the rest of the day. Because it's it, you've completely lost it. And that song, as much as it's been played, and as much as it's on just a constant loop, it has nothing on holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Because they've been singing that, because they've been in the presence of God for as far back in the past as we can even comprehend, and they will do it as far forward into Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And look what happens next. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. This is not some pleasant, feel-good worship service that you just stepped into. Okay, I mean, like, like, this is a pretty intense scene that, that Isaiah is witnessing to the point that what he sees as these things speak, the, the foundations of the threshold shake. This past week, you guys are familiar about the little tornado that came through the area. I happened to be in Moulton. Ephraim and I washing some cars when the tornadoes hit. The sirens start going off, and he comes out of the shop, and he says, hey, do you think we should go get some shelter? And I was like, I think it's too late, because, man, it just blew something over right over there, and it's, it's gone behind us now. And so we started talking about the, the, the little weak-sounding sirens and molten. Like, the cater, y'all got to figure, we got to figure it out here. Like, it blares. Like, we, you hear the sirens out there. Man, it was just like, man, it, just, it, wasn't, it was not impressive at all. And so he and I were talking about tornado safety and the different things. And I was like, so as a kid, I was sharing this story with some of y'all probably relate to this. As a kid, when we had to, when in school, we had to go get in a little tornado coming down position, but we had to take a heavy textbook and hold it above our heads. Like that's the way we did it in Jackson County. And he was like, I said, so what was it like? 
And he was like, I grew up in Mexico. We didn't have tornadoes. We had earthquakes, and there was no warning. And so I was like, well, like, like, so like, what happened? And he's like, well, you're walking to school, and the earth just starts shaking, and you might just fall over. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, I got you. These, these seraphim are just talking, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. So here's the first thing I want you to note of this story. When you are in the presence of God, you cannot help but worship Him. And, and I know that we read parts of Revelation and, and, and we think about eternal life and we think about you know the, the, the ones that, that, that I mean, there's like groups of angels and hosts and heavenly hosts and that's all they do. And, and we sit here and we think about, man, is that all heaven's going to be? Like, like, we have those thoughts. But here's the truth. When you enter into his presence, you can't help but to worship him. And, and the seraphim are there and they're not getting tired of it. And so when we enter into his presence, we worship. And then look at verse 5. And I said, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm a sinner. Like, like that's what he's acknowledging. Well, I'm a sinner, and so is everybody else around me. They're all sinners. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And this is somewhat of a complex <coughs> um, illustration of what's going on. I, I, I wish we had some time to talk about the imagery, so I kind of wrote out just a very quick synopsis of this. Okay, um, Isaiah has come into the presence of the Lord and his natural response, his natural response as a man is to acknowledge, it's woe is me for I am lost. His natural response when he encounters Jesus is to acknowledge that he's a sinner. Because when you come into the presence of a perfect God, you can't help but see yourself as you are. So Isaiah is repenting here. See, when we're made perfect, when we're made complete, our natural response is we are in the presence of God. We're just going to worship Him. Because He is worthy of our worship. And as sinners on this side of heaven, when we enter into His presence, we cannot help but see ourselves as who we are. And he is saying, he's acknowledging, woe is me. Because I am a man of unclean lips. He's repenting here. He's acknowledging and he's confessing his sin. And, and so the, the, the fiery, flaming, flying creature goes over to this altar that, that, that's, that's, that's somewhere in this scene. And, and he uses some tongs that just so happen to be there. And he takes the burning coal. 
And he flies over to Isaiah. Now you just put yourself here. You think you've had some nightmares. Okay, you think you've had some bad dreams in your day. Right? You, you're sitting here walking through the temple. Because we got this change of power between some kings. You're walking to the temple and all of a sudden, you don't see the road in front of you, but you see this vision. And, and as you come to the place of repenting before the Lord, you now see this little fiery flying thing grab, grab a coal, a hot coal, and fly at you. Like, like I'm, I'm pretty sure like we're, we're, we're pretty scared at this moment. Like you, you're trying to get out of this. Like wake me up before I hit the ground. The seraphim comes, touches Isaiah's lips, and says, your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. And so in the priestly order of the Old Testament, the high priest, and you can read about this in Exodus, the high priest was the one responsible for making the blood sacrifices before the Lord on the altar. The people would bring their perfect, whatever, whatever animal they had, perfect lamb, perfect goat, whatever. They would bring that, and the Lord would, <laughs> the high priest would sacrifice them, and then he, he would take them to the inner chamber, and they would, they would do this ceremony where, um, where, where the blood was sprinkled on burning coals. All right? That's what's taking place. Ascension. A lot more complex than this, but Jesus is the high priest. And you have the seraphim there. And the seraphim, who are not worthy to touch the coal, even though they, they themselves are on fire, they, they, they still are not worthy to touch this. They grab a set of tongs, they, they grab a coal that is covered in the blood of the sacrifice. And they fly over and they touch Isaiah's lips. Jesus is the high priest, and Jesus is the blood <coughs> sacrifice. I was hoping we would sink. I didn't say to. We're getting close, but what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so when you take some, some Old Testament history about the priestly order and what the high priest and his role is, and then you take our knowledge of Jesus dying on the cross, and you bring those two together, you get this image that, that it's Jesus' blood who is the only thing that can wash away our sins. And he is the high priest and he is the perfect sacrifice. So church, when we encounter God, we can't help but repent. I mean, this, whole, this whole thing, you could read this, this whole encounter in just, just a couple of minutes, right? And, 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 and I mean, it's, it's happening right there. And Isaiah is just before the Lord of hosts sitting on his throne. His train fills the whole temple. And what is he? Woe is me. I am not worthy to be in your presence. I am a person of unclean lips. And I'm gathered with a bunch of people who, who are also full of unclean lips. And so instantly, upon being in the presence of the Lord, he sees his great need for him. The key to encountering God is understanding 
our great need for him, church. And this is our culture's most devastating problem in life. It's not that your internet went out the other day. It's not that, that our power was out for three hours. That's not our most devastating problem. Our most devastating problem in this culture is that we are a people of very few needs. If we need something, we go get it. If there's a health issue, we just turn to our insurance and they cover it. If I need more, I work harder. I work longer. We, we, we do not know what it is like to be in need. Our biggest blessing is also our greatest curse. And the reality is, and I'm not making light of this, the reality is we are a bunch of wretched, prideful sinners, and daily we need to come before the Lord desiring to worship Him for who He is and what He has done in my life. And daily, we should see the need to repent. And praise God through the sanctification process. As, as, I, as I become more and more and more like Him, sin does become less and less. But we can never lose sight. We can never lose sight And without Him, we are nothing. And I hear stories. A couple weeks ago, we had some visitors here. Amanda and I, was, she thought she was here, but she wasn't here. On the first, we had some visitors from Norway. I don't know if you spoke with them or not. Amanda and I did have the opportunity to take them out and get some coffee. And we sat there and we heard stories of their work in Norway and stories of their work in Romania, and we've shared stories of our work in, in, in Zimbabwe and, and, and in Ecuador and different places. And when we talk about some of the overlapping, about some of the some of the things that we've done in, in other countries, and how the church is thriving in the Middle East right now. How the church is thriving in China. Well, where if you wear your cross jewelry, you could be thrown in jail. Or, or if you're in the Middle East and you you, you wear your Christian t-shirt, you would be beheaded. The church is thriving in third world countries right now. Why? Because the people know that there is great need. People are wondering right now, and we're going to talk about some specifics here in a few moments. But you go to Zimbabwe with us, you're going, to, you're going to encounter people who wonder where their next meal is going to come from. They're, they're, not, they're not worried about their 401k. They're, they're not worried about, about being able to retire and travel the country, okay? They're worried about where is my next meal going to come from? There's people going to show up to the hospital in Mishoko and say, hey, I've, I've got a couple of chickens to my name, is there any way I can get this cancerous tumor removed? And in reality, church, where the need is great, the gospel flourishes. 
so we encounter the Lord of hosts sitting upon his throne. Worship is taking place. And then there's repentance in the life of Isaiah. The third thing from this text, and it's the second thing from the human, the man, Isaiah, we do his will when we encounter him. That's what it says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord. So the seraphim are kind of muted for a second. And this voice says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? <coughs> Michael, if he's in this situation, and looking around over his shoulder, hoping that there's some other people. Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Notice what Isaiah doesn't say, church. Where are we going? Who, who shall I send? Well, can you tell me, hey, where are we going? What time are we going to be back? Oh, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have enough time to go. Whom shall I send? Well, I, you know, I don't have enough money. Uh, not trying to be petty or anything. Whom shall I send? Will, will I be back in time to make it to my child's ball practice? Well, you know what? Who shall I send? Man, you know, I, come on. I, I don't like how those people do those things. So what else do you have? I'm not good at that. So I'll take a pass on this one. And, and you, you let me know if you have something else. I, I can go for a few hours, but, but then I, I got to get back to my thing. None of those were Isaiah's responses. He's encountered the Lord, and the Lord asked the simple question, Whom shall I send? And his response is, here I am. Send me. He didn't know if he needed a passport. He didn't know if he needed an overnight bag. He didn't know anything. He just says to the Lord as he encounters him, here I am. And for the next 40 years, I don't know if I can take 18 days off to go on that mission trip. For the next 40 years, Isaiah serves the Lord daily on a journey of telling people about the great love Jehovah has for all mankind. And this is the challenge that we are making to you this year. Our journey of being a five-talent church that hears from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. It begins with you putting your yes on the table and submitting to God as He says, when, where, and how. That's where the journey begins. All right, Lord, I'm willing to take a couple hours off work to meet this need. 
I'm willing to say no to some things with the family so that I can say yes to you. Isaiah put his yes on the table and said, all right, here it is. So I want to tell you about some things that you can say yes to. You heard us talk back in September about a possible mission trip. Dr. Bungu green-lighted us. I don't know why it took him getting back to Zimbabwe. But he green-lighted us right around the first of the year. So this June into July, we are going to take a mission trip. There's some paperwork out here on one of the black tables that has a rough estimate of cost and just a few of the details. We will have a formal meeting next week if you're interested. I'm not going to stand out here and hand everybody the sheet. It's out there on the black table. It will be out there on the black table. You go and you pick it up if you're interested in saying yes to the Lord and going on a mission trip with us. All right? And I'll go ahead and say this right now. And I ask our trustees this. I'm praying. I'm praying that several of you say yes to this trip. And the rest of you, I'm praying to pay for it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, like, maybe that's your yes. Maybe your yes is, uh, you know what? They're going to go and they're going to do this work. And we don't take this trip because they need us. Okay, let's get that straight. We take these trips because you need it. You need it more than they need it, I promise you. And when you go, you'll understand it. So some of you, man, that's just, it's not, you're not there yet. Well, we're taking up some love offerings this year. I've already asked trustees, I said, I'm going to say this to the church, what do you think? They're like, go for it. Some of us are gone. All of us are paying for it. All of us are going to pray for God's protection. And all of us are going to pray that God does a mighty work. So that's something you can say yes to. You can put your yes on the table today and say, you know what? I'm doing this. Or maybe you're not committed to a life group. Maybe you, you don't do a life group at all. Okay? You're not part of one of our life groups, and you never have been part of one of our life groups. Or, or maybe you're just like dabbling with the life group. Like you, you go there when it's convenient, and you can say yes to the Lord today by committing to a life group. If you want, I've got about an hour and 20 minute lesson how we are created to be in relationship. We look at about 60 verses throughout Scripture. Where I can prove to you that God created us to be in relationship. And you know what? It's not just your little nuclear family that you owe love so much and they love you back. Because Jesus is very clear. What is it to love the ones who love you back? The pagans do that. Tax collectors do that. You need to be in relationship with people that might stretch you. You, you need to be in relationship with people where you're going to learn how to be kind, how to be patient, you're, you're gonna, you need to be in a relationship with others where you can do life so that when you need help, and we all need help, all of us need help. You need to be in these relationships where you've got people. Maybe that's what you need to say yes to. Committing to 
a life group. Uh, some of you know that you need to be making a disciple right now. You need to be making disciples to make disciples. You've heard this for years. And you give up. Some of you need to say, you know what? I'm going to find somebody in my world and I'm going to start mentoring them. I'm going to help start helping them walk out their faith journey. Some of you, maybe your yes today is just serving in a ministry around here. And I'll tell you, we advertise this. We keep things simple around here. That's, that's done on purpose. We've got some Life Kids teaching opportunities every week. We've got some celebration stuff that happens up here. You can talk to Caleb right the service if that's where you feel God's calling you. We have some work days and some things that take place throughout the years, but there's other things that we're connected to. Every single week, we're down at first priority. Every week, we go down there and we interact with kids. We'd love to see you there on Wednesday. Maybe first priority is not your thing. Clothe our kids as part of first priority between here and Hartzell. Maybe your yes is, you know what, I'm going to give them five hours a week or ten hours a week or whatever hours a week. Hey, you want your heart ripped out and trampled on? Join me on Wednesdays at the Pregnancy Resource Center. Okay? I was up there last week. And a 13-year-old girl came in. I can have a 13-year-old girl right there. We have the Neighborhood Christian Center that you can serve. Maybe that's where your yes is right now. Oh, here's a doozy. You want one? This, this, this went 12 rounds, okay? We're doing BBS. All right? People think I'm anti-VBS. I'm not anti-VBS. I'm anti-us doing VBS and calling it an evangelistic thing and then not doing anything to reach out to the community to invite them to the thing. All right? We'll put a sign up out here on the street and hope people come by. That's what I'm anti. And so we're doing VBS, May 28th through the 31st. And we need you here. But that's right after school. That's right. Some of y'all take vacation. Maybe your yes is to put that off a week. Because we need you here. You want to know why we're doing it right after school? Because we're going to do a campaign like this school has never seen, trying to get kids that we're interacting with on a weekly basis. These Easter egg hunts that we do, and these cookies, or cocoa with Santa, or cupcakes, or whatever we do with Santa, all of that is leading to getting kids into a relationship with Jesus. And that's going to take some people. And so maybe your yes is, hey, you know what, we take a family trip right after school starts, delaying that a week. Delaying it two weeks, maybe. Maybe that's what your yes is. Here we go. Here's the last one for you. You can say yes to your one more. If you were here on the first, we did a prayer service where we prayed over all these events and a bunch of other things. I wasn't here. I was on video. And I challenged you, the church, to go before the Lord, to be thinking about a person in your world, whether that's a, a customer, whether that's a co-worker, whether that's a, a relative, what, whatever, whoever. 
a neighbor, go into your world and start praying for one more. And, and maybe you're at the place where I don't even know who that is. Well, then you pray that God opens your eyes. But, but it's not just praying for them, praying that God is going to give you the conviction to go and share your faith journey with these people. Because church, I'm telling you right now, two-thirds of the world are unreached. That is about less than that. That means there is most of our world going to hell if Jesus decides to show up today. In our world, our community, Decatur, Alabama, the, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, right? Like, 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 I get it. There's a lot of people out there that have a church. But you know as well as I do, you've got people that you cross paths with every single day. You sit in the office with them. They come in your store. They, they, you, you eat breakfast with them at Chick-fil-A or wherever it is you eat breakfast. That they are living in rebellion to God. So I'm challenging you to pray for one more and pray for the conviction to go and have conversations with those people. And your job is not to lead them to the Lord. Your job is not to lead them to Life Bridge. Your job is to just go, here I am, Lord, send me. And that's what Isaiah did for 40 years. He went with a message of God's love. And Isaiah is not held responsible for the people that did and did not come to a relationship with the Lord. He's not responsible for that. You know what he's responsible for? Do I go or do I not go? So who's your one more? Who are you praying for? Are you, are you lifting them up? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone and invite them to some dollar fifty tacos to, to, to talk about Jesus? Or if it doesn't begin with Jesus, then, then you invite them to coffee and, and, and you just get to know them a little bit better. And, and you want to know what I've learned about people? As, as I've definitely been up here at the Practice and Resource Center, and I've been up there talking because when they come in, they separate. The men from the women, and I take the men, I can sit there and talk with them. I, I, I found that people will talk about their faith if they feel that they're not being judged. Which is hard for me because I can come across very judgmental. I get that. But that's just the. It's the redeeming work of God in my life. Maybe one day it'll get to my family. <laughs> I, I, I had no clue how and when I was going to engage these people. Met some guy from England the other day. He was like, met a girl playing video games, and now y'all are here. And we're talking about Jesus. And it was because of the heavy conviction of, here I am, Lord, sin. So church, you will put your yes on the table.
Are you willing to say to God? And this is not for life bridge. This whole pray for one more is not a, a church growth strategy. The church is doing as a church growth strategy. It's, it's not. I pray that we get to pull more chairs out this year. I, I'm praying for that. Okay? But it, this, this, is, this is not about, this is not a church growth strategy to make us feel good about ourselves. This is about us getting to the place where we have a deep burden and concern for people in our worlds who do not have a relationship with the Lord. So are you willing to put your yes on the table? Because later on in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus puts his yes on the table. So this is how we're going to respond today. Our guys are going to come forward. They're going to pass trays in just a minute. We're going to take this together as, as a faith thing. <clears throat> so as these symbols are being passed, I want you to think about how Jesus said yes. I'm good. Jesus said yes to God. And God said they need a sacrifice. And Jesus knew this all along. He's, he's God. And Isaiah records this. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. That's what we thought. But here's where Jesus said, yes, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus said yes to coming and being that blood sacrifice. He said yes to your sin and to your sin and to your sin and to your sin. And he took the weight of all of this because he knows the need that we have. And so as we think about putting our yes on the table, Lord, how are you going to use me? As we think about us putting our yes on the table, remember to the extent that Jesus did for us.
So sitting with the disciples, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took, he took the wine. He passed it. He said, take Father God, we thank you. For the love that you have for us. We thank you that your actions say that you said yes to our great need. Father, my hope is that, that every day there, there, there's an encounter with you that demands our worship. Not a, oh, I have to sing, but, but my very life is a response to, to you. My work ethic is a response to you. My interaction with people on the street is a response to you, that that is how I worship Lord. Father, I, I ask that the encounters with you as we get into your word and as we share our lives with one another, that there's repentance. There's the turning from our sin and the guilt being taken away from us. And then, Father, I, my prayer is that as we encounter you, we are spurred along to just put our yes on the table. Isaiah didn't have the particulars. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know about the unknowns. He just said, here I am. Send me. And so, Father, I pray that this is our church's, our faith family's response to you. We're willing to put our yes on the table and let you tell us when and where and how. That's our prayer. May this be pleasing to you. Amen.